morning. Um, Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory to God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All saints, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Almighty Father, you are our Lord and Savior, and just pray this morning as we're talking about a message on contentment. Um, it's a difficult topic. It should be difficult. We each come in here with different circumstances and different struggles, and we're, we're all searching for contentment and satisfaction in some place, in some way. And we chase many things. You teach us that our hearts are deceitful, that our fleshly desires are set against you, against the Spirit, Lord. So my prayer is that your Spirit uh, is alive in us this morning, that um, the work of Jesus Christ, the transformation of our hearts and desires uh, would be kindled in our lives, that you would awaken our hearts this morning. You would give us the eyes to see our sins of not finding contentment in you and in your provision uh, amidst all circumstances, especially um, difficult ones, ones that we don't fully understand or, or always see your will. Um, I pray that you would free us from anxieties, uh, our idolatry, our love that we find in other things. We chase security and man's approval and money and all sorts of things that um, we ought to be finding that satisfaction in you. So Lord, teach us to walk by your spirit. Uh, teach us to trust in your provision. Give us faith beyond the circumstances that we see and that we're in. And uh, give us a peace that is beyond understanding. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tobins. Appreciate you guys praying. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day. We are grateful um, that you're here on a Mother's Day. More than that, we're grateful for the moms uh, in, our life, uh, in our lives. I don't know about you, but um, there are certain things that I think about on Mother's Day, particularly the model that I've had uh, in my own mom who has taught me uh, all kinds of things like equipping for life's difficulties, sacrifice of time and resources, and of course, um, a safe place to be an idiot. And so I'm really appreciative 
of your love for me. And of course, we try to model that out for our own kids, a safe place to fail, equipping for life, and of course, sacrifice uh, for others. Those qualities are also exhibited uh, in the relationship that Paul has in the Philippian church. And so you must be thinking, man, what kind of really special Mother's Day sermon is going to be here today? Well, my sermon is in my shirt. It's pink. It's tucked in. It's nice and neat. And yet we are in Philippians, and we're going to finish out Philippians. And my prayer is that the Spirit would apply the truths found in, the, in Philippians, particularly about contentment, uh, that we would be able to apply those mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters all across, uh, but ultimately our hope is indeed found in Jesus, and we know about that hope uh, because of passages like Philippians 4.10, uh, excuse me, 4.10 through 23, which is of course where we are. Now, just to give you some context here um, about where we are as we finish up Philippians, uh, the qualities, yes, are exhibited in the relationship between Paul and the Philippian church, but from beginning to end, Paul has great gratitude for this special church in Philippi. If you see it from, from the, from the first, page, first verses of this, he says this in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he'll now pick up on this idea of partnership at the end of, of this book. And so it's no wonder then that we are talking today about partnership beyond convenience. And all of you are going, oh, that sounds warm and fuzzy, just what I needed uh, for Mother's Day. Uh, I can't uh, plan this out, and so this is where we are, right? And so yet there is some real beautiful, um, yes, challenges for what we have in the scriptures, but some real beautiful comforts along the way. But like a mom's love for her children, goes beyond the convenience and the capacity that she may have on any given day. It goes beyond what she may feel like giving. Um, so must we develop the kind of love which, um, un which Paul unpacks here about partnership, even amidst uh, in a local church that isn't based on convenience, isn't based on consumption, but instead is based on sacrifice and partnership. That idea of linking arms uh, that Josue so uh, delicately and beautifully put so many uh, months and weeks ago, of koinonia, right, of partnership. That's why he named his church that name. Um, but you may be thinking, like, well, why do we need to develop that? Why do we need that? Um, Paul is going to unpack that for us, um, that ultimately um, we, are, we thrive, we flourish, he'll say, amidst relationships that are based on sacrifice, not relationships based on ourselves or on consumption, but based on the sacrifice for the spiritual good, not just the physical good, not just the material good, but the spiritual good of others. So how does one partner beyond convenience? What does that take? What is our aim? And in all things, Paul shows the way. So let's unpack this verse by verse verses 10 through 23. The first thing that I think Paul is going to help us understand um, that what it takes ultimately to be able to partner beyond convenience is that if we need to, to seek and find our sufficiency in Jesus. And here's um, what he'll mean by that. Let me just read verses 10 through 13, which is where we're going to get that first part. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
now at length that you have revived your concerns for me, and you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, not that I'm speaking of being in need. I love how he just kind of takes these little sidetracks. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I would be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. And now he says, I have learned the secret. Don't you want to know the secret? Don't you want to know what Paul has been hiding up and just storing up for all of us? He has learned the secret. The secret to what? The secret to a life of contentment. And if there's anything I know about looking at my own heart, much less the heart of those that we get to do life with, or the heart of those that are in our communities, we are longing for contentment. We are distracted by so many things, and it's breeding nothing but discontentment. He has the secret, y'all. Well, you may be asking, what is the secret? I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, of facing abundance and facing the needs. The secret is that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret isn't contentment in circumstance. The secret is in Christ himself. And if we pick up on the context here of what's happened in Paul's life is that he planted a church in Philippi, right? Uh, And then it's been 10 years that have gone by, and now he finds himself in prison, and the circumstances prevented the Philippian church over time to consistently support his ministry. That's why he says, but you have revived your concern for me. Uh, The Greek there is literally to flourish again, to blossom, have a second bloom in season. If you've ever had a friendship that went dormant for a season and you never could explain the dormancy of that friendship or of that relationship, and then all of a sudden it gets revived again. And you, you all of a sudden have that, have that joy of that friendship or that relationship revived. You understand Paul's joy. It's no wonder he says, man, I rejoice finally and for the final time that you guys have a, have a second bloom in your support of the ministry. That's been evidenced by Epaphroditus who came and gave a supply of more than what he needed in prison. And I would remind you, in that dank dungeon, there's no three squares a day that's being provided by the government. Instead, his daily sustenance was provided by gifts of friends and family that would come and visit him and come and feed him. There was no, there was no meals that were provided for him. Instead, everything that he would need came from this Philippian church, some 10 years after he first planted, it's no wonder that he's bursting with joy and gratitude. That's not actually the point of this first part that he makes. He kind of takes a little bit of a sidetrack. If you know Paul's writing, he has a habit of having really long run-on sentences, um, but he also has a habit of, writing, of just kind of following the journey wherever his mind goes, it seems. But it all is carried along by the Holy Spirit, and it's all to help us understand there are points in those sidetracks. And the point here is the secret of contentment. Paul's gratitude was basically this. There was a gap in your support over these years, but I have learned the secret to something far more important than having everything that I ever thought I wanted or ever thought I needed. And that, of course, is finding his sufficiency. That's the word. His, his contentment, his enoughness in he who strengthens him. 
course, what seems like a side comment is actually the point for Paul. In friendship and parenting and spousing and in all things, there are times when the giving and receiving is not of not just material goods, but spiritual encouragement becomes difficult. It certainly becomes inconvenient. You don't have any relationships in your life that are inconvenient at times, do you? So in those gaps with our kids, with our spouse, with our church, with our boss, pretty much on every level, in those gaps, when the pressures are there and the world around you is telling you, number one, you need to keep up with the Joneses, and then the Joneses put out a blog that says, girl, you're enough. Both are lies. You're not enough. I remember sharing the gospel with one of my family members long ago. It was four in the morning. Um, I w- it, anyways, it was four in the morning. That's all I can tell you. Um, it was time to go to bed as much as it was time to get up. And I remember her telling me with an exasperated look in her eyes at four in the morning. So she says this, so you're telling me that I'm never going to be good enough. Is that what you're telling me? And I just went, yes, you're finally getting it. That's exactly right. You won't be good enough. Jesus was good enough. The the answer isn't in ourselves. No matter what TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or your favorite blogger or author tells you, you're not enough. And that is a subtle little gospel in, in 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 a mom's group. But I can tell you now it's a lie. You're not enough. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. His power is what we draw upon for contentment and enoughness and sufficiency. And for all of us in here going, well, I don't know how I feel about that. Believe me, it's way better news than you got this. We don't got this. Jesus got this. And we trust and we lean and we trust in his enoughness through the trials, in the ups and downs, because we won't follow through 100%. And neither will that other person. We will fail our kids. They will be in therapy. And we just go, it's okay. So are you. So do you. Like, we will, have, we will mess this up. It's not about will we mess it up. It's how bad are we going to mess it up? And what is, how is God going to show himself in that messed up place? You ever notice in the Bible that God does his greatest work when people are just at the end of themselves? Perhaps that's what this Christian life is about, not about getting everything that we need, Paul will say. I've learned how to do things. I've learned the secret of contentment, the secret of this life, when I've had plenty and when there's not been enough to eat. The secret is finding our contentment in Jesus, in him who strengthens me. I have a lot more to say about this. I have a lot more to say, not just about that blog uh, that's there in the background or that book that's there in the background um, telling us that, it's, that we are enough. There's also the sports world that has hijacked this verse. Thank you, Tim Tebow, with your eye black and your Phil 413. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what to tell you. Like the sports world, all right, here's, here's, here's how real it is. This week, um, I was uh, coaching a baseball game. And, um, and I had to bring uh, one of my kids, he had a necklace on, and I, and I was like, hey, bro, you got to take that off. So I took it off of him. I looked at the necklace that it was, it was a little cross, really beautiful. It was a little uh, cross, and it had baseball stitches on the front of that cross. And then I flipped it over, and on the back of it, it said, I can do all things. Philippians 
And some of us are going, oh, man, it makes me feel comfortable. I like that. But you know that Jesus didn't come to actually help you hit home runs? That's actually not what I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ooh, and so I can hit home runs. Ooh, and so Tim Tebow, I can run for a touchdown. Can't, apparently, he can't give you the power to throw for a touchdown. But run for a touchdown. Oh, burn. All right, anyways. That wasn't in there. I'm sorry. I apologize. But nonetheless, you know, it's not the point. If you look at the context, the actual point is that God gives me the strength to be content when I fail. When, when, I, when, I, when I can't do it, when I don't have enough strength, when I don't have the skill set, I haven't been coached up enough, when my parents did me wrong, blah, 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 you name it, it's actually there to help us understand he is my source of, source of strength, not my own power, not my own skill set, not what I can do, but what he has done. That's the source of contentment. That's the secret sauce to this Christian life, no matter the ups and downs, the lefts or the rights, whatever juke life gives you, Jesus is there to give us the answer. So what do you do when you don't get what you want? What do you do when you don't have what you think you need and yet God doesn't supply it? Do we cheat on God? The Bible's full of that language, by the way. That we commit adultery towards our God. Do we, do we, do we, do we kind of cut corners in our spiritual lives? And we just go, oh, it's not that bad. I was having lunch with somebody this week, and I was like, man, I just like, I had a bad night the other night. I just had to get some cookies. And you know, that's like not a pastoral no-no. Like, you guys aren't going to fire me if I just get some cookies. But in my heart, I'm just cheating on him. In my heart, I'm finding comfort somewhere else. In my heart, I'm committing idolatry and therefore adultery. But you're not going to fire me for that, I don't think. Elders? But it's a serious offense. And I confess that to you, number one, because I need to. But number two, sin is sneaky. Where will we find our contentment when we fail? Where will we find our peace when we run astray and rebel in quiet little ways that no one really cares about. Paul is reminding us our contentment is found in Jesus. So if you find that you struggle with contentment, and I'm just going to list a few things and just rapid fire you for the sake of time. But if you struggle with material consumption, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says this, godliness with contentment. You, ever, you could be godly and not be content. Godliness along with contentment, it's paired with contentment, is great gain. Why? Well, we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with this, we be, will be content. I'm going to bet you have food and clothing. While you're here, you have clothing on. I'm going to bet you're going to go have lunch with some brisket, and it's going to be delightful. With these things, we will be content. If you struggle with the insecurity to serve others, as we call you, into service of other people, perhaps you need to be reminded that your sufficiency is not in yourselves. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Nothing comes from me. But our sufficiency, our enoughness, comes from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Perhaps you're being called to serve in places that you're not comfortable, and you go, I just don't know if I can do that. Good news, Jesus can through you. Perhaps you're struggling with being accepted 
with other people, that people have hurled insults on you because you're a Christian. All you teenagers know what I'm talking about. If you're in a public school, at some point it has happened or it will happen. And perhaps you need to hear this verse. For the sake of Christ in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, then I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults, with hardships. You content with hardships? I'm content with persecutions and calamities. We don't use the word calamity. That's the things that put you in the hospital. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's no wonder he says this. It's all coming out of the the verse right before this where Jesus reminds Paul and all of us, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. If you want to experience the power of God, which shows itself in contentment, it comes through weakness. It's upside down world. It's the kingdom flipped upside down for us. Yes, God's best work is done when we are at the end of ourselves. And so as we uh, kind of close out point one today, let me remind you the secret to contentment, right, through life's up and down is by looking to Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, how is that true? Remember at the end of his life when he was praying in the garden and he asked for the cup to pass But if it's any other way, not my will though, but your will be done, and the Father does not answer him. If the Father did not answer Jesus in his desperate hour of need, you can be content when he also does not answer your prayer. That there is something else that you don't know what he's up to, but you trust his will and not your own. If Jesus' friends and loved ones betrayed and deserted him, when others turn their back on you, surely you too can find contentment in Jesus. And here is the harder part. When cancer isn't cured, when your depression won't lift, when loneliness isn't satisfied with an online fling, And your deepest desire is to control life's outcome. And it yields only empty hands, an empty heart, and want. Jesus is calling out to us to find contentment in him. Jesus is calling us to remember that these words about contentment were written by a man who was in prison. Surely he knows some things. Surely our God knows some things and he has suffered all these things so that he can sympathize with us, that he calls us to depend on him. And indeed, that is our next point, that if we're going to be a people and a community that partners beyond convenience, we just can't just only do it when it's convenient. We have to find our sufficiency in him, trusting him in our gaps, but also we need to depend on God. Let me read the second part here, Philippians 4, 14 through 20. He says, like, basically, here's the accusation for Paul, like, okay, well, if you're content in every situation, like, why are we continuing to give to you? And so he says this, he says, well, but you were kind to share in my trouble. There was good of you to partner in these things. And he says this in 15, and you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, uh, whenever I first became a believer, when the, when the gospel first decided, when we first started to share the gospel with you and with the whole world, when I left Macedonia, there was not one church who entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving, except you only. <laughs> 
Even in Thessalonica, when I wasn't here to serve you, when I was there to serve other people, and you had no direct benefit, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Oh, not that I seek the gift. That's not the point, Paul says. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, which, which those gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's so many cultural verses, Hobby Lobby verses in Philippians 4. Adam touched on one of them. I just gave you another one. And here again is another one that, oh, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This is true. But, but the Philippians church, right, they partner beyond convenience by depending on God. You notice what he says there. It was kind of you. It was good of you. Dare I say it was Jesus-like of you to share in my trouble. How did they share in the trouble of Paul? Paul? He says this, partnering in him, giving again and again from the beginning. They were early adopters of Paul's ministry. When Paul was alone, if you've ever started anything, you can feel this. When Paul was alone, when he had a crazy idea to plant a church like, like, like Josue just did. When, when I had this crazy idea to plant a church, there were few people Few people, few people looking at you, Tim Burns, because you were one of them, that stood behind that idea that now all of a sudden, eight plus years later, we can continue to gather in this beautiful space. It's an elementary school, but not on Sundays. It's the dwelling house of the Lord where God's people go and hear God's word and continue to be encouraged to get awakened in their minds and in their spirits to live for the glory of God in new and mighty ways that that never happens without a few people in the beginning standing there alone and going, I don't know, but I'm going to give to it. And so every year we try to honor those like sat in our living room when there were 17 adults and 19 kids. Every year at our anniversary, we try to honor those that were there, and Paul does the same thing for the Philippian church, and so if you were there, you know, you know, you know that, I was just telling somebody this the other day, there were 36 people here the first time we had attendance, 36 people that we had attendance that wasn't on Easter, 36, you know what that means? That means we set up and tore down for ourselves, it means we handed the bulletin to ourselves, we had a bulletin back then. We, we go, oh, we're happy to see you at the Grove. Also, could you join us and uh, set up and tear down on our, on our pipe and drape? Yeah, I'm already on the team. Thanks for having me. It was tough, but you don't, you don't see that today. There is deep gratitude in my heart. I can tell you right now, there's deep gratitude in my heart for this church. Without your sacrifice, there is no baptism of Amanda Alexander spontaneously on Easter last year or Marlene Scanlon, or James Madigan, or all the others that have been baptized. There's no, there's no salvation of souls that would happen in this room or in, in the hearts of our children at home. There's none of that. If a few don't stand firm, depending on God to do the impossible with resources we just frankly did not and don't still have. What an amazing thing. The Philippians sought 
ways, not just to be early adopters, but to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And you may be thinking, well, the Philippian church must have been loaded. That's why they were able to give to Paul in such beautiful and generous ways. Well, Paul actually mentions the Philippian church in the letter to the Corinthians as one of those churches in Macedonia. Listen to what he says about these churches in Macedonia, of which Philippi was one of them. 2 Corinthians 8 says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's the church at Philippi, too. For in a severe test of affliction, okay, oh, so it wasn't like a good time for them? Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. How do we become a people that actually uh, partner beyond convenience, not just in a local church, but with the gospel going forth around the world? The most, this is probably the most controversial thing I'm going to say today. And I know this because I've been recruiting a lot of leaders lately, and I keep hearing the same thing over and over again. And it's the cry of my heart too, so I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here for self-reflection and invitation, all right? Just a little caveat. Take this, brothers and sisters. You hear the words? the Philippian church, out of their poverty. They didn't have excess time. They didn't have excess money. They didn't have excess material goods just sitting around. Out of their poverty, beyond their practicality, beyond their means, they sacrificed for the sake of the gospel to go forth in other places that they would never benefit from. It wasn't about consumption. It was about commitment. Right? For us, here's what I do. I don't know about you. I'm putting this on me. But we live in a culture which is a whirlwind of work, 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 social activities, kids' hobbies, Baseball and softball. This is the Lord speaking. And we say yes to all of it without hesitation. And then when it's time to serve the Lord in some way, we go, I don't have time for that. Y'all hear that? Ouch. We put our calendars and our finances in a state of poverty and our heart's capacity follows. Because he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The Philippians had deficits too, and he gave of, they gave of themselves from their extreme poverty. How? First to the Lord. So when you cut your checks this week, when you sit down and you start to think about what is my work week, what is my, what is my family life look like this week, next week, next month, well, you just start planning all of this out, and you start going, like, what's at the heart of that? I don't know the answer to that, but do you give your, yourself that calendar, those money, that money, 
your kids, your heart, do we give it first to the Lord or do we give it first to all the other things that are tugging at us? And then whatever is left over for Jesus, he's forgiving me. He's understanding. Over and over again, Old Testament and New, God is calling us to give the first fruits to our king. Do you give yourself to the Lord? Do you give yourself to your calendar, your kids? I do. What about your capacity? See, the thing that drove the Philippian church was their eye was on eternity. Their eye was on eternity, verses 17 and 18, and I've got to go fast now because I've just taken too long. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Look at what he's saying, right? And my God will supply every need of yours according to riches uh, and glory in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, it's this, that the people in Philippi understood that there was a reward in heaven when they sacrificed for Jesus, when they worshiped through giving out of their poverty, That was the beautiful tension that, yes, they didn't have much to give, but what they had, and even beyond what they thought they would have, they trusted in God to supply every need that they had in that moment. And so he says this, that their their giving of themselves were gifts at the end of 18. They were a fragrant offering. They were sacrifice, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, when we give in this way, when we live in this way, it is an offering to our king. It is an act of worship to him. Do you want to worship the king? It comes at the end of yourselves. It comes when you're outside of the boat, right? It's not when you're in the boat. It's when you've already taken the risk. You've trust him to come out there. And so you serve him in this way. Well, I must move on for the sake of time, but here's the last part. How do we become a people that are committed and partnered beyond convenience? We focus on conversions. At the end of this, in verse 21 through 23, he says this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And we just read that and we go, okay, yeah, that's fine. No, no. Caesar, like the Lord Caesar, the Roman Emperor Caesar, the gospel from prison in Rome has now seeped its way upriver into the household of Caesar where the servants and soldiers are giving themselves over to Jesus, and this would have been an amazing thing for the Philippians to hear. We just read and go, wait, hold up, Caesar's household? He didn't say Cindy, did he? No, no, Caesar. Those people, whoever you have in your mind, when you think about those people, like my HOA didn't want to put a basketball court uh, in our our park because the riffraff was going to come around. I go, oh, what's that riffraff look like? I wonder. Those people. Caesar was those people. Caesar's household was those people. Whoever you have in your heart, and the gospel was infiltrating that place. And it was an amazing, beautiful gift, not just to the Philippian church, but I pray to us that the gospel has no bounds, y'all. It's the only religion that crosses cultural lines. Like, like there, it's the only one that will go everywhere to all people, young and old and Asian and Hispanic and black and white 
and you name it, poor and rich. That's how beautiful the good news is. Like the Philippian church could have gone, man, like there's no return on investment here. He's in jail. He's not doing much. And yet while he was in, in great affliction, he was sharing the gospel with those soldiers and the good news was spreading even there. I don't know what your situation is in life. Some of us um, are overcommitted, as I've said. Others of us are maybe playing it safe in a job that maybe uh, is fine, but you might consider it as like prison from eight to five, right? What are you doing there? Making a paycheck? For, for Paul, every situation was an opportunity to share the gospel. I wonder if you focused on conversions, if you focused on your neighbor who needed the gospel, how would that change your perspective? No matter if they're the same as you, different from you, Caesar's household, Cindy's household, does it matter? How can you enter into that space with the heart that represents the Apostle Paul and more importantly, the heart of Jesus, who as we read and memorized, we memorized that, right, in Philippians 2, was in heaven, didn't count equality with God, a something to be used to his own advantage or grasped, but laid it down and took the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross for you. And someone brought that good news to you. Could have been last week, could have been 20 years ago. And someone is waiting for you to bring that news to them. We end Philippians with this great invitation, this great hint that Caesar's household can hear and respond to the gospel. Well, surely those people can. Will you bring it to them? Will you, will you partner with the Lord beyond convenience and bring that good news to the world who so longs to hear it? Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for your love and care for us. As we finish Philippians, I do pray, O oh Lord, that we would have good aim, that our eyes, our lenses of our lives would come into focus, that our checkbook and our calendar and our kids would reveal Perhaps where we've made idols in our culture. But also, we reveal where we've been quite generous with what you've given us to steward. And no matter where we land in that continuum of generosity, and of course using it for what we need it for, Lord, we are content in all circumstances. I pray that we would grow in contentment and in plenty and in want. I pray that we would grow in contentment as a people because, man, in this culture, as in every culture, that kind of person is attractive. That kind of person stands out. person is not anxious, that has peace beyond understanding, beyond circumstance, just as Adam preached last week. And so that is not possible without your spirit moving in us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would depend on you, that you would help us see where we have gone astray, that you would gently call us home and back to you, 
that we would truly take the words in Philippians 2 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is you who's at work with us, that we've set our mind on you, O Jesus. And as we do, you would meet us in these gaps, performance, perfection, difficulty of want. When you meet us there, would you remind us Secret to contentment in this life is found as we look to him who strengthens us, who will supply every need that we have in Christ Jesus according to your glorious riches and not according to our strength or our riches or our performance, but upon yours. Remind us, O Lord, of the truth as we are so easily, we we so easily stray from it. Lead us now, O Lord, in Jesus' name do we pray, amen.